and welcome to episode 10 of ON The Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis, and with me is Jack Serlis, my co-host. 10 episodes in, La Decima. We've done it, Pat. We've reached double figures, haven't we? Every, every striker wants to reach double figures, and every podcast does too, so I'm absolutely delighted. <laughs> that is very, very <laughs> true, yeah. Um, very happy uh, to bag uh, 10 episodes and if you want to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes you can do that would be really nice of you if you did that we've got interviews with Richard Chaplow, um, Jos Hoyveld, Dexter Blackstock, any other Saints names I'm forgetting who else have we spoken to? Jaidi, Dean Jaidi. Hammond, yeah. uh, loads. Do we have the story about Charles Miller didn't we? Oh yeah oh yeah so yeah, lots to get lots to get stuck into. Um, mm. Slightly different this week in terms of what we'll be doing. We do not have a guest. It's just going to be pure Surlis Saints chat. Um, we're giving the people what they want. Yeah, we're giving the fans what they want, exactly. Football's back and people have been desperate to hear more of us talking about Southampton. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Exactly right. I've, my phone's been going off non-stop just to hear my view on a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things, so... Yeah. Well, well, let's crack on with the big news um, in the last week, and that is Project Restart has been given the green light. The UK government um, says sport can resume behind closed doors from June 1st, and the Premier League will be returning on June 17th with a huge clash between Sheffield United and Aston Villa. And then that weekend, Saints will be back in action probably against Norwich, but I don't think the fixtures have been confirmed yet. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts then, Jack? Pleased, pleased to see the Prem returning? Cannot wait to have the Prem back on our TV. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen how the fixtures are going to pan out on like a Saturday, Sunday, and then throughout the week, but it's just going to be an absolute feast, isn't it? It's going to be a feast be- of football, yeah. It's going to be, I saw that, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's that, I think it's from Mitchell and Weblook where it's... Um, it's David Mitchell and he's just talking about all yeah. the football all of the time. And <laughs> that is just, I'm just so excited for that. I really feel, I really feel like that sums up what's going to happen. Um, and I'm excited Definitely. for it. Yeah. I mean, one side of me is absolutely buzzing for it, but there's this, there's another side of me that is slightly uneasy. I'm going to be honest, just, it just seems like we've had such a, massive break in the season three months without football you you don't know how players are going to come back you don't know how they're going to obviously the Bundesliga seems to be working well but god forbid we we go on a bit of a bad run um in our first few games and we find ourselves looking down the table and you know I hope we obviously hope we don't go down but if you find yourself near the relegation zone you find yourself getting relegated after this season it just seems like a massive massive Oh, I don't know. They know how to describe it. It's just something that doesn't yeah. sit right. Yeah, I mean, I've been loving watching the Bundesliga the last few weekends. Like this weekend again, I just got mm. up and watched uh, Mönchengladbach beat Union Berlin, um, and it's been great having football on. But I know what you mean. I put out a tweet. I think it was last week, saying that we'll be all right, won't we? As far as Saints goes, um, mm. and. I'm not 100% convinced and someone tweeted back saying we've been in a lot worse positions than this, which is true, but it doesn't make it any easier. Um, So let's go through our fixtures. We're not 100% sure of the order of the fixtures yet. I think that's still to be confirmed, but we've got a good, we know who we're playing. So um, if we kind of take it with with Norwich away, it's probably going to be our first game. Thoughts on that? I mean, we've, we've got to look at that from three points, haven't we? 
We do, we do. But I mean, I think on the flip side, you'd say if you're Norwich City and you're a Norwich City fan, you're targeting Southampton at home as a must-win game. Because if they get three points there, then they can take that on for the rest of the season and hopefully stay up. So they're going to be bang up for that game. I've got that down as a draw. I don't think we'll go there and beat them. But um, I'd, yeah, I, th- I think we'll get a point at Carroll Road. Yeah, it's a must-win for them. They're six points off um, 17th. Watford in yeah. 17th at the moment. Norwich uh, on 21 points. Watford on 27. So if they win that, they give themselves a chance. If they lose to us, you've really got to feel like they're almost down, basically. Well, obviously not mathematically down, but it'll be a massive uh, missed opportunity for them. But I've actually got this down as a win for us. Uh, okay. As far as watching the Bundesliga goes, I think some some people might have seen on Twitter there's been stats about how there have been so many away wins and teams are struggling to play at home um, behind closed doors. And it does seem like there is something to that. We are good away from home anyway. Mm. And yeah, I just, I am for some reason, Saints fan, as a Saints fan, I am almost never optimistic. But for some reason, as far as Norwich away goes, I am quite optimistic. Um, so I think I think we're not. I don't think we'll lose, and I think we'll probably win. But you've got it down as a draw, yeah. So when we've got Arsenal as that rearranged game next at home, mm. um, free hit is that a bit of a free hit? Do you think we we'll, we can get something there? I mean, I, I went to the reverse fixture at the Emirates, but obviously it was under Emery. They're a different team now, but. We played them off the park and, you know, they're, they're a team that are, they're improving, but they're nowhere near back to what they were. So we definitely have the players to cause them problems, but I've, I've got a feeling that Arsenal are going to be quite good in these remaining nine games with there being no fans and maybe a, a bit more, some of their technical players, maybe the likes of Nicola Pepe might come into their own a little bit when the pressure's off. So... Mm. I mean, I've got to stand, I've personally got to stand as a loss here. I don't think we're going to beat Arsenal and I think they might come and have a bit more quality than us on the day. I think I think so too. I think we can't expect anything um, to get anything from that game. Again, looking at, we're bottom of the home table. We've taken 14, 14 points from 15 yeah, home shocking. games. It's, it's like everybody, everybody knows how bad we are at home. Will the fact that there's no fans in the stadium actually help us out? Maybe, but mm. judging by what's happened in Germany, it seems like home teams are really struggling um, to pick up points. So uh, I think I think you're right. I think Arsenal might play with a, a little bit more relaxed and, and the, the yeah. front three players, yeah, Pepe, Aubameyang and Lagazette will probably cause all kinds of problems for us. Yeah. Um, but then if you look at the away table, we're sixth. So then we've got a game against Watford who are at the moment 17th. They are scrapping... Um, to stay up. They obviously had that huge result at home to Liverpool shortly before um, the season got postponed. Yeah. So that's what they're capable of. But w- what do you reckon there? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they come back after this break with the same form that they had uh, previously. Uh, I think I've got us down as a win here. And, you know, I've, we'll see what happens between the Norwich and the Watford game. I think we've got to target, we've got to beat one of the two, 100%. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't lose both those games or draw both those games. But I think we beat them 2-0 back in December. I think it was, I think we could go to Vicarage Road and get, get three points. I think two, our team... It was 2-1, 2-1, two, I think, because Saar, Saar oh, yeah, scored. You're right. Yeah, they yeah. went 1-0 up. Because that's when we played Norwich as well, when we beat them 2-1. Oh, yeah, that huge week. Yeah. 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 But um, what do you think? Um, 
Yeah, I think we need to target four points from those two away games. So Norwich and Watford away, I think four points will be will be um, a good return. I yeah. think we're more likely to beat Norwich away than Watford. Um, yeah, they had that massive win against Liverpool. They are talented. I know. I think Delafayu is out with a long-term injury, um, which is a miss for them. But Saar, it looks very, very dangerous. It sounds like Troy Deeney is back in training now, and so he'll be available. That, that they are a handful um, mm. to play against at home. So I think that'll be tricky. I'd take a point there, to be honest. Um, assuming that we beat Norwich away. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we get four points out of those two games. But then we move on to City at home, which I think everyone looks. But this is a bit of a free hit. We'll do any, we'll do well to get anything out of that game. <laughs> I think um, we can put an L next to that one for now, and uh, okay. yeah, move on because yeah, you can't can't expect to beat City. And then away at Goodison, um, I was just doing a bit of research before before this to see the last time that we actually beat Everton at Goodison Park it was 1997 and for some reason <laughs> like the last like every time we go to uh, to Everton I'm just resigned to a defeat really mm. um, I remember that when when I was out living in Spain and you guys came out to, to visit me mm. there was that that game where Tom was it Tom Davies scored in like the 99th minute or something stupid and just yeah. ruined the whole trip yeah <laughs> It, yeah, it did. Yeah, we were in Valencia. Um, I think that was that two years ago. So yeah. I think the 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 year that we beat Swansea. Um, yeah. But we went to that game at Goodison needing something. And then Redmond, I think. It was like a diving header at the back post. Yeah, I think it was um, a Cedric ball in and Redmond header. Yeah. yeah. So, and we were hanging on at the end. I remember Simon Peach tweeting that um, McCarthy made a world-class save. Do you remember mm. that? Because we were yeah. walking around the streets of, what's the name of that Spanish town? Gandia. Gandia, yeah. Walking around Gandia, just constantly refreshing our Twitter feed. And it was like standing save from McCarthy, <laughs> 95th minute. And then all of a sudden you just, the tweet just, you know when that tweet just comes in and you just know. Yeah, I think there was a tweet from Simon Peach before, which was just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And we were just refreshing thinking like, <laughs> have we have we nicked it? Or like... <laughs> Is this really going to be what we think it is? Have we actually lost oh. this game? Surely not. And I just remember that evening was just, we were just devastated. There was, there was some like um, vintage car festival going on or something, wasn't it? So there was like all yeah. these like Spaniards wandering around the streets looking at cars. And then there was just like us uh, heading our phones, just like basically tears streaming down our face as Tom Davies scored in the 99th minute. We thought we'd, relega- thought we'd relegated. Staring at, the, staring at the, the plastic menu of paella in front of us, just <laughs> wanting to be anywhere. Yeah, and, and then basically doing this and looking at the fixtures and being like, well, we're going to lose to City on the last day, but we've got to beat <laughs> yeah. Swansea. Um, and working out all the permutations of who else was going to go, well, who else were playing around yeah. us on those final two games of the season. Um, yeah, hopefully we don't get to that position. Um, Fingers crossed. This season, but Everton away again. Yeah, I think you're right. We we never we never do it, do well at Everton. Um, they are a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team. They've got quality players, but they've struggled to put it together. They've obviously got a good manager in Ancelotti. We are good away from home. We've beaten teams like Leicester and Chelsea away from home, which does fill me with a little bit more confidence um, going yeah. into a game like that. But at the same time, take a point right now, definitely. Yeah. So after that, we've got United away. Um, 
just thinking of the reverse fixture, it was one all, wasn't it? St. Mary's Vestergaard with his only goal mm-hmm. uh, in a Saints shirt. And we were actually watching that game in Krakow for your stag do, weren't we? What a memorable we were, we were in Krakow, yeah. In the English Premier League club, which I would urge anyone that's in Krakow on a weekend during the football season to go there. It's a stunning establishment, isn't it? <laughs> it was a dungeon. <laughs> it was a dungeon. I spent the whole first half in the toilet. Um, <laughs> I remember that. And yeah, who scored? Daniel James scored for them. Good yeah. goal. That was when like everyone thought Daniel James was the next Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then Vestergaard popped up. It, it was a strange game, really. One of those kind of early season games. It's just a bit. Yeah, exactly. Just, and it was in August, wasn't it? And everyone, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, again, United away. Uh, I, they're another weird team. Um. You, you just don't know how they, how it's going to play out playing behind closed doors at somewhere like Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, they've, they've obviously uh, had another disappointing season, um, which makes me think that, well, we've, in past seasons, we've gone there and, and, and put a real good... Um, yeah, we've done, we've done well there. We've, we've done well there. Even, even in recent seasons when we've been struggling in the league, like, was, was it last season when Valerie scored a screamer and we were... Yeah, we ended up we ended up losing that one three two. But yeah, um, yeah Valerie scored that screamer, and I think it was a War Prowse free kick as well. Yeah, um, and then Lukaku stole it in like the eighty seventh minute or something. Yeah, classic. Um, so I, again, it's another one that you you put it down as a defeat, but at the same time, before that game, I wouldn't. Uh, it's not like playing no, City or Liverpool. I think, I think we could definitely get something there, which brings us on to our final three games of the season. Um, Hopefully, by this point, we'll have picked up four or five points from those opening six yeah. games, um, and that will basically that will basically mean that we're safe. Um, we are currently seven points clear of the relegation zone with nine games left on thirty-four points. So, if we do pick up four, five, six points, get around thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty points um, with those three games to go, I think I think we're up. Yeah, we're, we're safe then. Um, yeah, it's one of them though that if if we do get off to a bad start, those last three games, Brighton, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, assuming it's in this order, by the way, um, yeah. are absolutely huge because you'd imagine Brighton and Bournemouth are going to be down there with us if, if we are down there. So yeah, Brighton at home is an absolute, we have to beat them. Three, need, yeah. need three points. Uh, Gineppo scored that great goal in the reverse fixture at the Amex and I think Redmond scored as well and I think we're a better team yeah. than Brighton um, yeah. but who knows who knows what will happen I've got to stand as a win though yeah I mean they're going to be scrapping as well yeah um, they are they're the team actually we're 14th at the moment they're 15th they're five points behind us okay. and they will yeah they will almost certainly be targeting this as as something that they'll need points from Um mm. I think we are a better team than them. We beat them at the Amex. I think we should beat them at home. Uh, I remember, was it last season when we were 2-0 up against them and we were at St. Mary's for that game and then they scored like a 90th minute Glen Murray penalty to make it 2-0. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, for some reason, I just don't like playing Brighton. It just, it, it, it makes me really nervous. Um, Hoiberg, was it last season as well? Away from, away from home at the Amex. Yeah. Um, with a with a massive with a massive goal um, to get us three points, so I suppose the, rec- the recent recent record is pretty good against them. 
Um, and I think we'll, I think we'll get these two fixtures, Brighton and Bournemouth, are probably similar to the Norwich Watford. I don't know how it's going to go, but you'd hope you get four points out of those two. Like yeah. that's that's a very if you come away with four points from Brighton and Bournemouth, you'd be happy. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at Brighton's fixtures now. So they're so they're the team closest to us in the table um, beneath us. So they're five points behind. They have some really tough fixtures remaining. So they've still got to um, they've still got to play Arsenal, Man United, uh, Liverpool, Man City, all mm. at the Amex. So four very tough home games. They've still got to go to to Leicester as well. Um, and then their other four games are are hugely. Uh, from their point of view, they'll see them as hugely winnable. Um, Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley and us. Um, so their final three games of the season are us, Newcastle at home, Burnley away. So for 100% sure, Graham Potter will be targeting um, trip to St. Mary's as as three potential points because, yeah, they're going to they're gonna struggle to get anything from mm. Liverpool and Man City. And they've also got to play Man United, Arsenal and Leicester. So Hopefully we get three points against them. And then Bournemouth, I just remember that that game earlier on in the season in September when we lost 3-1. And I think it was a Friday night game, which was just a- absolute disgrace. disgrace. We had a couple Friday nights. <laughs> the 9-0 and that on a Friday night, which is just horrendous. But uh, Those were the, those were the bleak times to be a Saints it, fan. I mean, that is about as low as it gets, really. Yeah, apps just... Disbelief, wasn't it, really? Just uh, during that was little it, period. Was it Ake, like, really early on in that game as well? We were just, like, 1-0 down, like, straight away, like, terrible defending from a corner. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. At home, at home to Bournemouth, and they're just going to come in and roll us over so easily. Like we couldn't be bothered. That, yeah, well, that was a weird period. I don't know what what you put that down to, but, I mean, the formation was just awful, wasn't it? Mm. The three centre-backs and the wing-backs, and I think... That didn't help the goalkeeper at all. So we had no kind of consistency yep. back there. Occasionally, Dancer would go in at fullback. Occasionally, it'd be Valerie. Occasionally, it'd be Cedric. And it was just, what are we doing? It just looked so destroyed. Yeah. Show. I just think that like obviously Ralph's formation is four-two-two-two, and he hasn't had the opportunity really to get rid of the players that he wants to get rid of and bring in the players that he wants that he thinks suits that formation. So I think early on he was just like, well, with a squad that I've got this kind of free, free centre-back formation gives us a bit more security and fit and suits the players that we've got a little bit better than yeah. him trying to come in, him trying to force his preferred formation on the players. Yeah. Um, and uh, ultimately, that was a disaster. And he's obviously found a lot more success going with his 4 2 2 um, So I think maybe it was that. But yeah, you're right. Like the, 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 he, didn't, he didn't have his settled back two of Bednarak and Stevens. Angus Gunn was completely his confidence yeah. was shot um, and there was just no leadership was there really like looking back to the, that Bournemouth game that Leicester game both Friday night as well weren't they I think, yeah I think you're ruined right. the both weekend before game, it even so. started yeah fully exactly fully did but um, I've got us down yeah between those Brighton and Bournemouth games I've got us down four points between them so a win and a draw okay. um, but I'm not sure which way and then Sheffield United at home the final game of the season yeah, I just just on Bournemouth, they obviously they're in the relegation zone at the moment, um, and they've got very tough fixtures as well. They've got to go to Wolves, they've got to go to Old Trafford, um, the Etihad, and they're also and Goodison Park also playing Leicester and Spurs. Um, 
And they're a weird, they're a weird team. I could quite easily see them going down. Yeah, um, me too. They got they they beat Villa in that massive game uh, in early Feb, um, and then but and and they took uh, a point at Chelsea. Yeah, at, no, at home to Chelsea, um, and then lost to Anfield in their last game before um, the season got postponed. But I mean, they they were in a desperate run of form, um, and. And yeah, I could quite easily see them going down. If we if we say that Norwich, I think like hopefully we just beat Norwich, and then that basically um, that basically puts them in a position that's all extremely difficult to recover from. Um, I could see Bournemouth slipping down there um, or staying down there, and then you've got Villa as well. I'm in nineteenth at the moment, um, but other teams down at the bottom of the table. Do you think those three will be the ones to go down? Or can you see Watford, West Ham, Brighton, and then you've got us and Newcastle in 13th and 14th? I can, just having a look at it as well, I can see Brighton falling into that as well. Um, yeah, with those fixtures that we just went through, I think they're really going to struggle. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I'd love to see West Ham drop down into that, just from a personal point of view. That I think that would be... That'd be quality. They're they're on the same points as Bournemouth in 18th, so they would be they're going to be. I mean, we're talking about this being a bit anxious, being seven points clear. So yeah. obviously anything can happen, but they are well um, in that dogfight at the bottom, aren't they? So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. they get on. But I think I think it's going to be Norwich, um, Bournemouth, and Brighton. You think you think Villa will yeah, get out? I think of it? they're going to get out of it. Yeah, well, they've they've got that game um, at home to Sheffield United, which is on which is the seventeenth. That is a massive, massive game for yeah. them. Um, win that, and yeah, I think they'll they'll stand an excellent chance of of um, of scrapping their way out mm. of it. But if they lose, I can't see them. I can't see them doing it because that's the rest of their fixture list is. Um, it's tough, really. Like they play Wolves, they play United, they play Liverpool, um, Everton, Arsenal, and then they've got uh, games that they'll be targeting against Palace, West Ham, and Newcastle. Um, but the Sheffield United home game is definitely one that that um, they'll want to they'll want to make an yeah. early um, early inroads into climb because that'll take them out of their relegation zone. Like, yeah, I think yeah, and John John McGinn was a massive miss when he when he got injured, wasn't he? And he's yeah. such a key player for them. So to have him back fit, I think, will be a massive boost for them. So I can I can see them picking up a few points. Yeah. So what are we saying, Bournemouth away? Then are we are we confident there? I, I, again, away from home, I don't think Bournemouth are very good. Uh, towards the end of the season, hopefully we'll be safe, um, but. Uh, I think uh, I think we can go there and 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 win that game um, at least draw. Yeah, yeah. I've got us down. I've got us down as a point and uh, a win away to Brighton. So four points between the two. So we shall see. Okay. And the final game. Hopefully, it's just a end of season um, bit of fun in the sun against Sheffield United at home. Um, but if we need to get something. Echoes of 2008. Hopefully we do not need another Stern John. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully we don't need this heroic. Stern John at the double. <laughs> what a hero. But um, yeah, I think that that depends a lot on if they have something to play for. If they're going um, for a European spot, they might. And if we've got nothing to play for, they'll probably come and like, mm. play us off the park. But um, yeah, I think I've got to stand as a draw there because I kind of think the season might be... 
oh, I'm hoping the season might be wrapped up by then and that might be a little bit yeah. of a nothing really on it. So I've got us down as a draw and yeah, just hopefully Gineppo brings out a bit of magic like he did at Bramall Lane. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's, well, from their point of view, they'll, they'll hope and they'll be going for a European place. Hopefully for us, we've got nothing to play for. Um, and it's sim- and and I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking it's going to be similar to when we played Huddersfield on the last day. Um, and it was one all and Redmond scored that screamer. And, and it's just like, it was just, just a, sort of like a pre-season game, but yeah. post-season. There's <laughs> uh, nothing on it. Um, fingers crossed we go into that. We're not needing a Stern John uh, saviour. Um, we'll, most certainly be Danny Ings if, if we go into that position. But so then how many points have how many points have you given us there then? Have you, so, you tally up yours? I've given us four points from Norwich and Watford. I'm saying we're gonna get four points from Brighton and Bournemouth, and then we're gonna get draw Sheffield United, which is nine points, which takes us to a total of forty three, which hopefully hopefully will be enough. Okay. Yeah, I think that definitely will be. Um from my side, I think I think we're going to take four points from Norwich and Watford, a point at Goodison, so that's five, um, and then four points from our final three games. Yeah, no, I can, yeah, I think nine points is a good shout, um, which would be enough. Um, I just it, it's just weird. Uh, the, I think the nervousness as Saints fans comes from. I think we'll get the points, but I just hope we get the points early. Like, I hope we just get four points from those Norwich and Watford games because it could go it, we could go into our final three games with nothing and then we they're all winnable games and we can end up with nine points but imagine the nerves going into that Brighton yeah. game um, if we've lost say we lose six five or six games um, and we've got those final three home get those final three games of the season that is that is plausible and we could still end the season on 43 points in that situation and be like oh okay well, that's that's good that's not not too bad considering but the nerves would be completely shredded just because we'd be we'd 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 come out of the the break with five defeats or six defeats on the bounce. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I just think it's a shame. Obviously, we're in a we're in an okay position when compared to other clubs, but it's a shame in those last five games that we didn't pick up a few more points. Like that oh, Newcastle no. defeat, the Big West Ham defeat when we went to Upton Park, and it was just Jared Bowen scored. It's just a rubbish game. Lost 2-1 at home to Burnley, which is just like, you can't be losing those games. Then obviously we lost to Liverpool, which is expected. But if we picked up four points out of of those fixtures that I just mentioned, we'd be like looking looking up the table rather than down the table. So just a real shame that we just took our foot off the gas there. Even if we'd we'd just beaten Newcastle, we'd now be on 37 points, the same points as Everton. Nobody's really talking about Everton in terms of they could be in trouble. Um, Newcastle also would have three points less than they currently do, so they'd be on thirty-two. They'd be, they'd be a team that would be looking over their shoulder, and we'd be five points clear of them. And instead, um, they're they're one point ahead of us. Um, yeah. They're obviously still they'll still be concerned about relegation, but we that was such a massive missed opportunity with that Ginepa red card. Everything went everything went wrong in that game. Mm. Penalty. Um, yeah, the VAR review for the red card, the terrible defending from Valerie. I mean, it's just, yeah, got people, yeah, don't like looking back on that match. Don't want to talk about that. Okay, but well, I think we've decided, we've decided that Saints are staying up then, yeah? Confirmed. Confirmed. Excellent. 
I will let Ralph know. He will be pleased. Um, so other bits we want to talk about. Keeping Kyle Walker-Peters. So the Daily Echo um, reported that Southampton have reached an agreement with Tottenham to keep uh, Walker-Peters until the end of the season. Obviously, with, with the way the season has been interrupted, his contract was supposed to end um, at the end of June, but they've extended that now through to the, whenever the season finishes, which hopefully um, isn't too much longer after that, if they manage to get all the games in from the restart. Um, thoughts on, on that decision, Jack, on, on keeping him? Well, it makes sense. If you're going to bring someone in on loan, you want to see them for longer than 90 minutes or however, however long he's played for. Um, I don't think we've really seen what he can do. Uh, in a, I think he's got a lot of quality going forwards that we haven't seen at all. So it'll be interesting. I just think in these remaining nine games, assuming that we do get off to an OK start and maybe give ourselves a bit of breathing space, play him as much as possible. Play him ahead of Valerie. Play him ahead of, you know, uh, any other options at right back because yeah I just think he does have potential he does have a lot of potential and I think he could be a very good Premier League right back um, so yeah I'm all for keeping him it also seems like he's settled in with Southampton I've just well, follow him on social media and stuff and he seems to be close with Michael Obafemi and a few other players so I don't think that's an issue at all I think he has settled into life on the South Coast quite well so yeah I hope hopefully we see uh, good side of Walker Peters. Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer really to keep him. Um, I think when we signed him, there was a lot of talk about okay, this gives us an opportunity to see his quality, and then potentially um, speaking to Tottenham about making a move permanent. And he's only had that game against Burnley where he did get subbed as well in that, so he didn't even play ninety mm. minutes. Um, and then after that, Ralph went with. Um, James Ward-Prowse at right back versus Villa, uh, the victory over Villa and the defeat uh, at West Ham. And then Valerie came back from a Newcastle game. He obviously had that mm. shocker that allowed um, Sam Maximan to, to score the winning goal. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see Ralph drop Valerie um, for the first game of the, of the return. Um, and Walker-Peters, I think James Ward-Prowse has to play in the middle. And I think give Walker-Peters another chance at right back, definitely. I saw a tweet saying that Walker Peters, he's 23 years old. He's only played 900 minutes of Premier League football, um, which is nothing. So there are big questions to be asked over whether he's good enough, but we hopefully can use these final nine games to try and figure that out um, because our fullback positions do need strengthening. Um, I'm a fan of Ryan Bertrand at left back. We do need someone to push him as far as competition goes. And then at right back, I think Valerie is a talented young player, but there's serious question marks over um, over his performances throughout the whole of the season, yeah. really. Um, he's, been a, he's been a bit of a liability um, f- through the whole season. I think even going back to, I can remember going right at the start of the season when we played Liverpool at home and he was just half asleep the whole game. Um, he it was it's probably a little bit harsh on him, but for their winning for their goal, um, for their second goal, which ended up being the winning goal, um, he just went to sleep and and yeah, it just allowed I think it was Firmino to kind of come in from that flank and then just put it bottom corner and then we made it two one towards the end, but it was just infuriating because you just want to tell him that he's <laughs> got a man on or something, and it's it's just like he's it, I can't explain it other than to say that. He's just his awareness is not doesn't seem to yeah. be good enough. 
Um, so I think, yeah, Carl Walker-Peters deserves an opportunity to, um, to at least ask the question of Ralph about making the move permanent. It does sound like there's this Dutch um, right back who are called uh, Zief, Ziefweck. Yeah, um, yeah, that we're linked to. We've been linked to him and I saw the latest was he's given an interview in Dutch press saying that he's played his last season um, at, at uh, Groningen. So it sounds like he's leaving. So I don't, whether he comes to us or elsewhere, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, we're right back as a position that Ralph is obviously targeted to strengthen. You have to play Carl Walker-Peters for the last nine games. Otherwise, you'll never know if he's good or not. Yeah. So... Play him, see if he's good. If not, look in the transfer market. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, probably the most talked about Saints player at the moment. He obviously gave that interview um, about wanting to win the Champions League and win the Premier League. Um, and there was a little bit of social media um, intrigue, I guess is the word, mm. this week with one of his likes. Yeah, I mean, it was quite Michael Gove-esque, wasn't it? I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did see Gove. that. Yeah, I did, yeah. Michael Gove. It's, it's been deleted. Well, it's not been deleted. It's been unliked now. Mm-hmm. But um, there's been a few screenshots of his liked tweets and there's some quite suspect content that he's just been looking on a late in the early hours of Sunday morning or Saturday, Saturday night. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. You you've got to ask that question. Did he did he mean it? Is it or is it an accident? So we're we saying that yeah, Hoiberg and Go in the same boat. Did, did they mean to like what they what they liked? I mean, Hoiberg. Um, if you didn't see it, um, there was a tweet by WhoScored.com um, that said, "Could Hoiberg be the final piece of Tottenham's midfield puzzle?" And it was a link to an article with all his stats and and basically saying he could be the man to um, to improve Spurs' midfield now. He's liked that. Michael Gove liked a tweet. Um, pornographic in nature, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure whether Michael Gove is trying to force a move to Pornhub um, <laughs> in the same way that Hoiberg seems to try to force his way to Spurs. Um, only Gove can answer that question and hopefully they'll put that to him in the next uh, daily briefing so keep, <laughs> keep an eye out for that um, but I mean are, are we going to say that Hoiberg it was just a, it was just a mistake he's unliked it now I mean it's just it's just a classic social media transfer rumour um, story uh, do you put any stock in it at all? I do definitely do I mean he's yeah. made he's made it clear that he wants he wants to leave and but he's already maybe seen that article and it is kind of bigging him up and it's talking about his move to Spurs I think maybe he has liked it and then thought wow this is actually public maybe and maybe someone someone sent it to him but he's got he's got the same agent as Cedric now I think I'm right in saying who's going to be linking him to a lot of clubs and trying to trying to get him those deals so yeah I, I do put stuff in it and to be honest my view on Hoiberg I think I think I said it in a previous podcast is that I'm quite realistic with Southampton players now. I don't. I've, obviously, there's a few that, you know, players like Danny Ings that you'd absolutely hate to see at other clubs. But someone like Hoiberg, we signed him four years ago in 2016 when he was 20. He's he's been at Southampton. He's been a consistent player, very rarely injured. He's, you know, seven out of ten and above most weeks. And is he going to play for Southampton his whole career, or is he going to want to move to a different club when he's 24? 
probably going to want to make that career change and try and better himself. So if we can, if we can get decent money for him, let's, let's try and do it and let's move on and see if we can replace him with, that's the issue is replacing him. It might, it might be really difficult to get a decent player in, in this market. But um, I think if, if we can get decent money from Spurs or from another club, we take it and we move on. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would have been prepared to just ignore this, uh, like this like story. Um, if he hadn't the previous week said basically that he wants to leave. <laughs> so he's clearly, yeah. he's clearly angling to leave this summer. And uh, that again, that's, that's fine. Um, as long as we, um, which is not a given, as long as we spend the money wisely on a, on a good replacement. Um, I, I don't see, he's obviously one of our best players, one of our top three players, but he's not irreplaceable. Um, so let's just stay up this season reach an agreement with him to sell him this summer when the transfer window opens. And or hopefully we've already started thinking about who we could bring in um, to replace him. Well, I think we have, not we? Because there's the, the story that Dan Sheldon wrote in the, the Echo this week, linking us to Olivia Nietzsche, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, from Celtic. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Celtic midfielder, formerly at Man City um, and now plays, yeah, for Celtic. So, um that I mean, I, I can't say that I've seen much of him play. Um, we've had a pretty good track record of signing players from Celtic uh, in recent um, in recent years. You've got to think about Victor Wanyama, Fraser Forster, Virgil van Dijk, Stuart Armstrong being the latest. Mm. Um, and by all accounts, uh, Nietzsche is a is a talented young midfielder. Uh, he'd obviously be much cheaper. You'd like to think that he'd be much cheaper than what um, the, the amount of money that we'd be getting for Hoiberg. He'd be on the uh, wages wise. I think he pro- would probably make a little bit of a saving there. Mm. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, certainly one that I, I would, I'm interested to, um, to see where that story goes because I think he could be a good sign. for Definitely. Um, whenever we get linked with players, uh, that play for British clubs. What I usually do might be quite sad, but I've got a lot of time on my hands nowadays. Is I try, try and find their, try and find those clubs like big Twitter accounts and see what they're they're saying about them. So I just did a like a Twitter search and tried to find some Celtic fan accounts. And there was one called Celtic Soccer Shows that tweeted out Olivia Nitchum, would you keep or sell? And I was just reading a lot of the comments because, like you, I don't really know too much about him. I, I know he scored that winner in Latvia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Italy against Lazio um, in the Champions League, but always at Europa League, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so some of the top replies to that tweet were, keep all day, could be a key player in the next few years, best midfielder in Scotland when he turns up. And another tweet was, adds a, adds a physicality, composure and drive in the middle that we lack. So just reading those those comments does you know, fill you with a bit of confidence about what you can bring to the table. And I think we do lack that bit of physicality in the midfield sometimes. Um, and we will definitely if we sell Hoiberg. But there was, I just also like to say, there was another tweet that said, I wanted I wanted him out when he threw his toys out the pram, but he's knuckled down and showed his class. I'm not too sure what that incident was, but um, I would, mm. that did kind of fill me with a little doubt because we, we don't really like the players that kind of, We've had a few of them in the past that 
have, you know, try to force yeah. a move or something. But but anyway, I just I was reading those tweets I mean, and I, I thought they all they read very well. And you when a, you can you can see clubs tweet saying like get rid, uh, take the money, and you think God, are we signing someone awful here? But when you see those from people that watch them every week, yeah, it fills you with confidence. Yeah, I think there's there are as far as Celtic are concerned, like lots of players go to Celtic um, with the view to well winning trophies, but with a view basically to to impressing Celtic sign young players, let give them a platform to impress and then sell them on for profit um, to bigger teams around Europe. Um, that's basically their model, um, and they've had success doing that. Um, selling players to us. I mean, we're a Premier League team, so players like to go from Celtic to, to Saints. And then we've had success with like Van Dijk going on to then Champions League teams. I think there are similarities between the model that Celtic use um, to run the club and the model that Saints have tried to use um, in terms of bringing players in with resale value um, and making mm. money from them, improving the team. Um, and then reinvesting that, that, that transfer, those transfer funds back into the club. Um, and this sounds like the sort of player that would be a, a candidate for that. Got released by by City. Um, clearly very talented. Um, and yeah, and it's definitely a good sign of the fans um, are keen to. to yeah. And to also keep. that yeah, there was one more reply which I forgot to mention, but um, it said if his sale meant signing Fraser Forster and El Yunusi, I'd let him go. So oh, really, yeah. I mean, I'd like I'd haven't followed too much how, how well then those two have performed in, mm. in Scotland, but they've obviously made quite a good impression. So if we could use them in a deal, mm. none of the, neither of those two players are, I don't think, key for Southampton's future. So definitely use them yeah. as part of the deal. Well, def- yeah, I mean, definitely Forster. I think we like, the, the bridges are burned there. He's on a huge amount of money and we just need to get rid of him because we've got two other keepers um, that are in the first team picture. So I can't see Forster ever coming back um, and making a difference at Southampton. And he's obviously a bit of a hero um, at Celtic for his stint before joining us. And by all accounts, he's gone back there and played well as well. So if we can use Forster in a deal, that's fine. El Yunusi, um, when we spoke to Dan Sheldon on, on episode nine last week, he, he thought that he was a potential candidate to come back, um, mm. similar to Bufal, come back from a loan spell and, and potentially earn a place in, the, in Ralph's first team plans um, ahead of next season. And I could see that. I mean, Dan made some good points about El Yunusi only really um, playing under Mark Hughes and that reign was a bit of a disaster and not easy for anyone to come in to the Premier League um, for the first time and try and impress under Hughes, the club was a bit of a a bit of a shambles. Um, so he didn't really have much of an opportunity. Obviously, he didn't impress Ralph when he came in, but neither did Buffal, and he certainly earned a second opportunity. Um, so I, th- I think El Yunusi, I wouldn't I wouldn't be as prepared to write El Yunusi off as I am with Forster. As far as Forster is concerned, he can leave. Um, Al Yunusi, I would like to see whether he can make a difference next season. And I think he probably can't, but he at least should be given an opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I agree. See how he, see how he comes back in pre-season and then assess it from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that point, and we'll, we'll mention it again um, when we come to the end of the podcast, but next week we'll be speaking to... Um, 90 Minute Cynic, who who are an independent Celtic um, podcast and, and website, um, just to get 
a little bit more um, information on Forster and Alunusi, how they how they perceive um, those two players, whether Celtic want to keep them um, or whether they're likely to come back to us. And also we'll get kind of a little bit of an inside scoop on Olivier Nietzsche, what's he like as a player um, and what could Saints expect if we sign him. And then just a bit more, um, we'll have a bit of a chat really because the two clubs, Celtic and Southampton, have, like we said, have had um, close links over recent seasons. Lots of players have gone between the two teams. Um, we've signed lots of Celtic players and they've all been pretty successful really. I mean, Forster was a success for us for a couple of seasons, worked his way into the into uh, into the England squad and was good. It was just, I think, post his injury. Mm. Um, since his injury, he's he's really struggled, um, or he really struggled um, before moving back to Scotland. So that's next week's um, episode. A um, couple of couple of more bits we wanted to touch on. Really nice uh, read in the Athletic from Carl Anker on Gareth Bale. Uh, don't know if you got a chance to read that story, Jack. I did. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um... It was good to reminisce about those early years. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't really a great period for Southampton when we were getting relegated and struggling in the championship. But yeah, it was interesting hearing his story about how, you know, I think you mentioned before, but how he wasn't the first youth team player to get a scholarship. And, you know, he had his injury problems and problems with growth and stuff like that. And Walcott was obviously the, the star in the team. Um, but no... Really interesting read. Yeah, I mean, if I would recommend if you if people get the chance to to go and read it, it's the, kind of the story of Gareth Bale's early years at Saints, how he got scouted, um, his progression through the youth teams, and then uh, into the first team under George Burley. Um, there's some really great quotes in there from from some old Saints employees. One of them being uh, Malcolm Elias, who was the head of recru- head of recruitment um, at the time. And yeah, as you say, he, Theo Walcott was the star of that youth team. Um, and, and age 16, Gareth Bale was actually the last player um, offered a scholarship contract from that cohort of, of youngsters, yeah. um, which, is, which is interesting. Like all, the, all the focus was on Walcott um, and Bale was, was kind of permanently injured, playing centre-back as well because he, he's, he, had the, um, he had the physique, I guess. He's quite, quite tall, good in the air. Um, and as a youngster, yeah, he was playing centre half. Um, so yeah, some some really good bits of um, like stories that I I didn't know about. Um, one particular game that was that was billed as kind of D Day for Bale, like either he was going to impress and earn a contract, or Saints were going to release him, and they were playing Norwich City under 18s um, away, and Walcott scored a hat trick. Saints won five nil, um, and Bale bowl accounts had a really good game as well. Um, and earned a permanent permanent deal off the back of that. Um, and George Burley being the one to see his potential. Um, Burley also being a, a former fullback. Um, so yeah, well worth checking out that article if you get the chance. Um, there's been some really good stuff um, published over this, over what, the last two and a half months since football stopped. So that, that's definitely been yeah, one of my sure. favourites. And I was just... Looking back at his goals that he scored for Southampton um, as well during that time, and I think he scored five goals, and they're all absolute worldies. <laughs> there's there's four free kicks yeah. <laughs> in there: Derby, Coventry, Hull, and Norwich, and they're not even just like edge of the box, bottom corner, or keeper side, or mistake. They're like in off the post or postage stamp. They're ridiculous 
technique for like a 16 year old and also a great goal at Sunderland on the volley. But um, I also thought that was an interesting, yeah. David Prutton was talking a lot in that um, that interview and he was saying about in, in 2016, he was covering the, the Euros in France and uh, he was just on the pitch pre-kickoff and the players were wandering around before they go into the changing rooms. And um, Prutton was obviously a senior pro at Southampton when Bale was coming through when he was 15, 16. And but just obviously it's just changed massively. And Pratt was just talking about how starstruck he was, and he hadn't spoke to him since that time, so 10, 15 <laughs> years. And uh, Gareth walks over to him and says, Pratt, how you doing? And he just said like he couldn't believe that he just even remembered him. And then uh, just thought it was really funny how like at the time he's obviously some sixteen-year-old kid. Fast forward fifteen years, and he's won. Mm what is it, four Champions Leagues and David Pratton's looking at him like, oh my God, there's Gareth Bale over there. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, yeah, really good. And um, Spurs really got a steal when they signed him for us. And they profited on our situation in terms of how cash-strapped we were because I think it was only like, it was less than 10 million. Um, yeah, it was, fi- it was like 5 million in the end because yeah, I think we ended up um, with the administration and all of that, we ended up kind of settling for the, Settling for less money up front because just because we needed the cash, so it was a bit of a disaster was, all around, really. Um, but yeah, I, I just on that article again, I, it is a, I just remember watching Bale in those championship seasons, and the article says it. It was like, well, what was Saints' strategy um, in those games? And it basically was <laughs> get the ball to Gareth um, from le- from left back. He had like a massive engine, and he would just get up and down the flank, and all of our attacks would go down the left. Um, and it'd just be a case of him like just yeah just powering up the flank getting a decent delivery in and then trying to score mm. off the back of that and then obviously scoring from free kicks so um, not often that your that kind of your team strategy is built around a teenage left back um, as far as attacking strategy goes can you imagine um, but yeah can you imagine you how good it would be to be a 16 year old and playing professional football like imagine walking back into the canteen the next day and you just scored at stadium like <laughs> like imagine that so there's an in, there's another article in the athletic about on harvey elliott and it's talking about him playing for fulham at 15 and going back and taking his gcse and apparently just going back into school and he was just a hero so i just imagine being that age and actually competing with like 35 year old big strikers <laughs> John Parkin just elbowing <laughs> you in the face and you've got a mass GCSE the next day unbelievable <laughs> well, I need to read that I did see that on Twitter this morning um, I need to read that looks story good, yeah. yeah it looks good um, so a couple of questions a couple of questions to finish um, from from Twitter actually so the first one from Cameron uh, who says what position needs upgrading most? In my opinion, we still need a good centre-back who's comfortable on the ball. Um, the first thing I'd say is that I, I do think that Jack Stevens mm-hmm. is pretty good on the ball um, as far as kind of playing out from the back and coming forward and, and playing forward passes. I think he's, he's pretty good. But again, our centre-back signings recently haven't been great. Stevens and Bednarak are our first-choice duo, but then Vestergaard's been a bit of a bit of a disaster so would, would, do you agree with Cameron there any other any other areas that we should be targeting uh, yeah I agree with Cameron I think it has to be a top centre back um, I agree with you Jack Stevens has improved massively recently but he does have his limitations he's not a young player is he so um, yeah I think yeah. it is Stevens and Bednarak that I would play at the back um, but there's definitely room for improvement there I think that if you, if you compared that centre back pairing to 
the other 19 Premier League teams, we would be right down there in terms of quality, I think. Um, I think I'm still unsure about our goalkeeping situation. I think a top, if we maybe, you know, I don't think we'll need all three. If we need, if we brought in a new keeper, I don't think we'd need McCarthy and Gunn. But I think there's definitely room for improvement in that position. Um, so just overall defensively, yeah. I think we, that's, that's uh, the priority yeah. for me. Yeah, I've already mentioned fullbacks. I think that's definitely one area that we need to we need to improve um, our strength and depth there. Um, pretty weak at the moment. Um, goalkeeper wise, I've already said get rid of Forster. Um, that leaves Gunn and McCarthy. I've said on previous podcasts as well. I think they're both num- at the moment. They're both number twos. Like I don't have a massive amount of confidence in either of them as a regular number one. McCarthy is capable of great saves. Um, really good shot stopper as he was against Newcastle, pulled off some unbelievable saves, but he's also capable yeah. of clangers as we saw against West Ham away. Um, that second goal was <laughs> just shambolic. Um, so I don't have a massive amount of confidence in either of them. Gunn did cost quite a bit of money from Man City and I can't see Saints cutting their losses yet because he is quite young um, and goalkeepers should really improve. Um um, as they get older and they've got slightly uh, slightly longer career career wise, so um, I could see us improving the goalkeeper situation, but I think it'd have to be with Forster leaving um, and one of MacArthur, McCarthy or Gunn probably um, leaving as well. I can't see either of them. If we did sign a new keeper, they wouldn't want to stay either exactly. because nobody would want to be third choice. Nobody wants to be second choice. So. Um, so yeah, I think fullback is urgent from from my point of view. Um, but you're you're right, really. Defensively, yeah, just need to strengthen um, across the board, and obviously Hoiberg replacement. Uh, yeah, strikers is actually our strongest area of the pitch at the moment with Ings, Obafemi, uh, Long, and Adams, um, yeah. and Adams. Yeah. I think that's actually, we're, we're pretty set there. Um, which brings us on to the second question from Andrew, um, which is on Danny Ings, um, comparing him to other Eng- English strikers, uh, would we swap Danny Ings for either Tammy Abraham or Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Uh, no. End of podcast. <laughs> Definitely Just no. not. No. no, I mean, I understand there is a debate there. And a lot of, if I was maybe thinking thinking rationally those players are 22 and 23 they've got a lot more years ahead of them and who knows they might go on to be England's leading striker um either of those two but I'm not going to sit here on Owen the Saints podcast and say I'm going to swap Danny Ings with Dominic Calvert-Lewin um <laughs> nah he's the king of Southampton he's the king of the scummers so yeah I think that's it he's local local lad he scored 15 Premier League goals for us this season um and yeah, he's had the best season of his career. So I know sometimes um, you should you should kind of move on for players once they've reached their peak because they're unlikely to match those heights again. But Danny Ings is a hero. We've got to keep him. There's there's a debate to be had there because as you mentioned, he turns 28 this summer. Um, Abraham and Calvert Lewin are significantly younger. I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, next summer, um, as far as England squad goes, because you've got to think that it'll be Kane, Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, and Kane is the out-and-out striker there. You probably want another 
kind of number nine. Um, and it would have been, I think, Danny Ings was fully deserving of that spot um, this summer. The timing um, was not great for him because he's going to have to repeat that next season, uh, I think, to earn another chance um, to be that kind of backup to Kane. Um, but Abraham playing every week for Chelsea is going to have a lot of opportunities to score goals. And Calvert-Lewin really has has come out of nowhere under Ancelotti and had a brilliant season. So um, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next season. Definitely, definitely. I think, like you said, it was really unfortunate the timing because I think everyone was backing Ings to to be playing for England and I, I wanted to see him play for England. Um, but yeah, to answer... Andrew's question it's uh, I wouldn't swap Daniel for DCL or Tammy Abraham yeah agreed agreed okay well that only leaves us to tee up next week Uh, as mentioned earlier we'll be speaking to um, 90 Minute Cynic uh, Celtic podcast uh, and website and we'll be getting the lowdown on Olivia Neacham who's been linked with Southampton um, as Hoiberg's replacement and we'll also be chatting to them about how Forster and Alianusi have been getting on um, this season at uh, at Celtic. Obviously, they're champions. The Scottish Premier League season is finished. Um, so we'll get their their thoughts on how those two players played and whether they'd like to keep them next season. Because um, I think that those discussions will be had um, at both clubs over the summer. Um, and then we'll also just be chatting to them um, about, yeah, about the links between the two clubs, Wanyama, Armstrong, Van Dijk, um, and Forster, uh, lots of movement between the two teams. So looking forward to that. That'll be out next Monday. But Jack, until then, thanks for joining me again this week. Been a pleasure, Pat. Speak to you next week. Speak to you next week, mate. See ya. <laughs>